Thanks for clicking play on the latest episode of the Iowa Revolution podcast. My name is Spencer Dirks, alongside, as always, Dr. Bob Leonard. Happy Thanksgiving, Dr. Bob. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you, too. And I just noticed that your hat is your initials. Is that the Spencer Dirks hat? It is. Yeah. San Diego Padres. Spencer Dirks. Jesse got me this one, and I also have another one with their, basically looks like poop and pee, brown and yellow colors for San Diego. I've always wanted one because SD is my initials, of course. And for a couple Christmases ago, she got me this hat. And that's blue. We should this see. one is blue and white, yes. Yeah. This was this is my nice hat. The other San Diego Padres hat that is not as nice of colors is my mowing the lawn hat. Or just doing chores in the yard, not so worried if it gets a little bit sweaty hat. I see. Well, and I started off saying hat. We should actually say cap. It's a cap, yeah. yes. It's a baseball cap. Yeah, there's not too many people out there, I don't think, that have their initials on an official Major League Baseball hat. There's certainly no BLs. No. No. No, but, I mean, there, yeah, there could be. And there could be Milwaukee Bucks, but I guess that's <laughs> basketball team. And what is your middle name? I'm not telling. Why not? Are you embarrassed of your middle name? My well, mom is embarrassed of her middle name. A little bit, because it's old-fashioned. My middle name is David. Yeah. Spencer David Dirks. S-D-D. Yeah, well... So it's sort of normal. So it's just going to stay a secret then, huh? Well, no. Once you brought it up, it's D. Wayne. Dwayne. Oh, yeah. And it was. There's nothing to be embarrassed about Dwayne. Well, Dwayne is sort of old fashioned, but it's, it's capital D E Cap- space W A Y N E. So not, only, not even a capital W, a Cap- space. No, there is a capital W, but the space. Right, but but it's w. a space and. Yeah, yeah D. Wayne. Which is sort of weird. I think it's a perfectly fine middle name. So, and I think okay. it suits you, actually. Robert Dwayne Leonard. Yeah. Um, you can pronounce it D-Wayne or Dwayne or whatever. But right. if actually, if you look at Dwayne's, there's lots of different spellings of Dwayne. Talk, well, yeah. There's some that don't have the E. Yeah. So it's just D-W-A-Y-N-E. Yeah. You've got the space. D-U-A-N-E, too. That's right. Yeah, I forget about that sometimes. Yeah. What are we doing talking about this ridiculous middle name? I think it's kind of interesting. I think people might be interested in what your middle name is. All right. Well, that's why I figured once we started down this path, we better continue. But now it's over. It is over. So let's just get into it. Let's just get into our Thanksgiving food ranking, shall we? So this is my ranking. You can tell me if I'm wrong. But we're going to just start off with dead last always, turkey. I'm not a Thanksgiving Day turkey fan. I'll have a few bites just to go along with the rest of the meal. But I am not a big turkey fan. On Thanksgiving, just eating turkey. I'm a huge turkey cold cut fan, like turkey sandwich. Love it. Not a big just basted turkey. I'm not much of a turkey fan either, but I prefer dark meat. White meat's often too dry. Yes, very, very dry. So outside looking in, rolls, just bread, and cheesy potato casserole. So good, but didn't quite touch the top five. Well, okay, so the rolls, it depends. If they're just store-bought rolls, no. I guess you could get something from La Mi or something, some fine bakery, yeah, but most store-bought rolls aren't very good. Are you a King's Hawaiian fan? I don't know. King's Hawaiian, it's a brand name of rolls. And the King's Hawaiian, their normal rolls are a little bit sweeter tasting. Yeah, yeah. And then they also do sell just basic you know, heat and serve rolls. Yeah. 
not much of a heat. So you need the homemade rolls yeah. for it to be official. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to be picky, I mean, this is what this is about. We're analyzing this. Otherwise, I wouldn't say it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the top five. This one's kind of decisive, I think. This is one either love or hate. Number five, black olives. I don't know what's special about black olives. You don't know what's special about black olives? They're specifically special to me because I remember when I was a kid, used to put the black olives on my fingers, run around and eat them. And that used to be when I was like six, seven, eight years old, the only thing that I would really eat on Thanksgiving. I'm, I was and am a very picky eater. So like rolls and black olives were the only thing that I would eat when I was a small boy eating at the, the kids table. That's sad. What? Black olives and rolls. Did you, you didn't have any of the cheesy potato casserole? No. Even the green bean casserole. Mm-hmm. Number four, pumpkin pie with whipped cream. <laughs> Gotta have the whipped cream. And quite a bit of whipped cream. Right, but it can't be Miracle Whip. It has to be whipped cream. <laughs> Correct, yes. I don't want Miracle Whip on my pumpkin pie. Number three is mashed potatoes and gravy. That's good. Oh, that's good. Number two is green bean casserole. Do you know who invented green bean casserole? I know you know who because you interviewed her. I interviewed her successor. Ah, okay, yes. I do not know then who invented green bean casserole. Dorcas O'Reilly. In like 52, 54, Campbell's was looking. They have a test kitchen. We, We all know that, I guess. But they were looking for something that was affordable, that tasted good, that could, you know, that would be on America's tables, and it's classic. Dorcas? Dorcas. D-O-R-C-A-S. What was the last name? Dorcas what? O'Reilly. Dorcas O'Reilly. That sounds like a cartoon character's name. I guess she was just quite a nice woman. It is one of those dishes that's very easy to make, even somebody like me who has no actual cooking ability can make. And it's delicious. Yeah, it is. You got to have the French's onion ring yes. things on top. Yep. Number one is stuffing. Uh, stuffing's the worst. Really? Yeah. I I figured you as a stuffing guy. Um. I guess I've had a lot of bad stuffing. There is a very wide spectrum of stuffings. There's. The ooey gooey homemade stuff that comes with like the innards and stuff, the turkey, and then there's obviously all the way down to just stovetop stuffing. And I'm pretty much good with almost all of them. One of the best stuffings I ever had, Jesse's Nana made it, oyster stuffing. It was very, very rich. One of those things you can't really eat a lot of, but every bite is delicious. I guess I can imagine stuffing that was good. But I think when I was a little kid, all the different spices were sort of foreign. And I don't know if I ever grew out of that. Well, I'm a fan. It's my number one. What is your number one? Oh, boy. What do you have to make sure that you get when you're sitting down for Thanksgiving or going through the buffet line? Well, Annie makes this incredible cranberry relish that's just really something special. The texture, the taste you know some lemon or lime in there and and the texture is really good it's a little crunchy little sweet little sour that's probably it that cranberry dressing and then if you have the cranberry dressing on the stuffing the stuffing is okay 
I'm not a huge cranberry fan. You haven't eaten her cranberry. I was going to say, I, I don't think I would be an oyster stuffing fan either, but I tried it and it was delicious. So I'm guessing that Annie would convert me into a yeah, cranberry cranberry dressing fan. You'll have to ask her to make you some. All right. We're racking up all the things that I'm supposed to eat, by the way. I still haven't had her, like, green chilies. Mm. So we're gonna have, I'm going to have to put together a menu yeah. <laughs> and make sure that Annie makes yeah. all of these great it's things. Great homemade tortillas. I've been hearing about, yeah. yeah. We can just go on and on about that. Let's get into some news, shall we? This is from Ty Rushing in Iowa starting line. Staff members for the nonpartisan Iowa board that oversees the integrity of political campaigns received numerous threats related to the city and school elections that took place earlier this month. During Thursday's Iowa Ethics and Campaign Disclosure Board meeting, Executive Director and Legal Counsel Zach Goodrich noted the uptick in anger at him and staff coincided with the increased politicization of local elections. Quoting him, We have received letters, emails, phone calls, voicemails that seek to intimidate, harass, and in some instances outright threaten us, end quote. He told this to the board, continuing to quote, There are phone calls saying racist and anti-Semitic things, and it's extremely, not only disgusting, but unsettling, and the staff have remained extremely professional despite what I would characterize as being pushed to the limit sometimes, end quote. In one example, Goodrich said a person from Northeast Iowa called the office and told them they needed to do something to, quote, stop these damn Jews from stealing the city council election, end quote. The most frequent threat delivery mechanism has been email, since people don't run the risk of talking to a real person, Goodrich said. Of course, they're cowards. Well, yeah, and how many people even know those boards exist? I didn't until I read this article. I don't think most people know that they exist. So what does that make you think is happening behind the scenes? That it's being overseen. That it's a campaign. It's a coordinated assault, basically. Exactly. Exactly. It just doesn't come out of nowhere. Yeah, how would you even begin to look for the email for this group? So, yeah, there's something happening behind the scenes. It's an orchestrated effort by somebody probably affiliated with Trump, to continue to, oh, not necessarily affiliated with Trump because there's you know all kinds of people behind the scenes that Trump is just the chaos maker and they'll be happy when he's gone because they've sown the chaos. He's opened the door for the chaos and then some other, you know, Republican, I'm not going to say conservative, some other Republican, you know, of that kind of Republican, not the old-fashioned kind of Republican, somebody will take over that mantle. But so no, this, uh, I guess this is a coordinated campaign, just like the Moms for Liberty popped up everywhere. Yeah. Popped up everywhere, all at once. Just like mm, that, right. Well, how, yeah, it's organic, right? Nope, all totally planned and funded. Right. Resourced. Yeah. So it's the same kind of stuff. And good for these people to continue on yes. with their work. They should be applauded because that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get these people to quit or, yeah, kowtow. Yeah, they're being threatened and harassed. And it's funny that you bring up Moms for Liberty. Did you see that they won Fox News had their hero night? So they were Fox News heroes of the year. So representatives from Moms for Liberty actually showed up at this big award show and accepted this award, even though they've been basically told to get the hell out of here by yeah, most states that they're in. But Fox News will act like they're victorious. Right. So so the American people that watch Fox News aren't being told the truth. Yeah. Yeah, they got their 
asses kicked, at and least in Iowa. And it's, oh no, across the nation, it's like 85% of them lost. Right. Yeah. And they're the heroes. Yeah. Right. It's good that people are fighting back against them, though. It is good news. It is. For the history of this nation. This is from Jason Menke on Twitter. He's an Urbandale school board member. He tweeted, 470,000 K-12 through students in Iowa's 327 public school districts got $107 million in new money during the last legislative session. 44,800 students in 245 private schools in Iowa got $144 million in new money thanks to the same lawmakers. Make it make sense. Can you make it make sense, Dr. Bob? Well, none of it makes sense. It's, you know... We've talked about this ad nauseum, but how they would say it makes sense is, well, the public schools have been getting this money forever, and now we're just trying to, you know, help the private schools to to try to come, you know, somewhere close to, you know. Where the public schools are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So now that would be their argument. Uh, It's not an argument. That would be their illogical statement. Well, and it's going to bankrupt the state soon enough. Well, I don't know about bankrupt the state, but it'll, eventually they hope it'll ruin the public schools. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be in private schools. And thank God for football and basketball, or they'd get rid of the universities, too. Right. They would. This is uh, interesting. We've talked about this before, actually, Dr. Bob, but an additional 59 Iowa churches are leaving the Iowa Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church over differing beliefs on same-sex marriage and ordaining openly LGBTQ clergy. Their departure is now closing the chapter on what leaders have called a tough emotional process. Churches seeking to disaffiliate Saturday-held meetings in early May, where more than two-thirds of their congregation voted to leave the denomination, a requirement in the process, they will soon decide their next steps, becoming an independent entity, or join the new Global Methodist Church, a Methodist denomination that formed last year and seeks to uphold LGBTQ-related bans. Of the 59 Iowa churches approved to disaffiliate Saturday, 15 are from Camp Clear Lake District, which serves communities in in the northwest part of the state. Many of the churches leaving are in small or rural towns, although Altoona and Pleasant Hill are also listed. Well, I mean, you know, to a lot of the population, you know, LGBTQ plus people, you know, they've been marginalized for a a long time. And so this just sort of formalizes marginalization or sort of been informal now it's it's just formalizes it it's also interesting in that you know if you know anything about evolution and the patriarchy that it's evolution is ultimately about the perpetuation of the species and so what so and how do you perpetuate a religious movement? Well, the first thing that you do is that you you try to have as many kids as possible because it's easier to indoctrinate your kids into your ideology rather than somebody else's kids. And so the more people you have, it's perpetuating the the religion, the ideology. It's also um, by coming against, you know, out against people, you know, LGBTQ people, 
the goal is to get more kids and LGBTQ people don't have as many kids. And so there's this sort of structural evolutionary, you know, rationale behind it. But if you use what I just said, saying that there's this evolutionary history behind it and you act like that's justification, that's creating the naturalistic fallacy just because it's sort of our natural, you know, like um, men and women, um, like we're, um, oh, so there's sexual dimorphism, we're bigger. Well, so is that a, is that a, a rationale for dominate, men to dominate women? Well, it could be used and has been used that way, but it's the naturalistic fallacy that we don't want to use just what seems to be born of nature, the predictions of nature, what our genetic material needs to do or should do to just for its own self-interest doesn't mean that that's in the best self-interest of anybody or um, that it's something that we need to, you know, follow. And so this is just a little, you, you have to look at the root causes of things and they can just say, oh, it's my religion. Well, it's not. It's also part of the evolutionary destiny of organisms. But we don't have to follow, if we followed our, you know, our evolutionary destiny, that's where ultimately there's all kinds of conflict that come from that, or there's the other versus your group, and there's all of this stuff tied both to religion and biology that neither should be our destiny if we want to include all people as having infinite potential. They're all our brothers and sisters, and let's just move together and appreciate and respect one another. So you have to unpack all of this. It's just not evolution. It's not just the religion, it's sort of this thing that works together to perpetuate the patriarchy. And so that's what they're doing. They don't know they're doing that, but that's what they're doing. There's all of these different ideological and biological things pulling their strings, and they're acting like it's their faith, when there's all kinds of other things behind it, and their faith gives them an excuse to if your faith gives you an excuse to demean other people and, and see them as lesser citizens, maybe you should look again at your faith. One of the many reasons why I'm thankful for you, Dr. Bob, this <laughs> Thanksgiving week is you do, see, you do see things differently because I never would have thought of that connection, but it's absolutely true. It's also sort of personally heartbreaking to me because my grandpa, as I've said on this podcast before, I've even read one of his sermons. Might be time to read one of his other sermons. He was a Methodist pastor. So this is very personal to me, the fact that many members of my church in my state view the other, whether they're gay or bisexual, what have you, as not worthy of God's love. That's very depressing. Well, it's very depressing and it flies in the face of, of my understanding of the beginnings of Methodism because it was, it was there to help, it was really there to help my understanding, you know, the common people, yeah. the poor people, help elevate everybody and, for, and to have that religion with that, what I understand to be this, you know, very benevolent and caring origins to be you know, taking this direction just seems unfortunate. There was, there was a December 31st deadline. So when they said that this ends this process, this is 
pretty much the end of the process. You had to, as a congregation, decide by the end of this year whether or not you wanted to stay in the United Methodist Church or break away. So this, those 59 churches join roughly around the same amount, a little bit more, the last round they went through to disaffiliate themselves from the United Methodist Church. So well over 100 denominations in the state have decided to splinter off and maybe join this global Methodist church that is built on LGBTQ hate. Um, that's the end of it, I guess. Yeah, so the new universal one is the one that is pro or con? So the United Methodist Church remains pro LGBTQ. They will continue to ordain pastors that so are the new openly branch. gay. So the new branch is... Well, they've, yeah, they've created this global Methodist church that some of these churches may affiliate themselves with or they'll just go independent. Well, and so what, you know, how do we go in Iowa from legalizing gay marriage when in the early 2000s? Yes, yeah. Yeah, to all of a sudden we're back where we're, we've flipped and taking a whole new direction. Now, why is that? Why is that happening? Oh, could it have anything to do with the power that the evangelical right movement sees when it had the chaos maker Trump in charge, that in his destroying, you know, any institution he could, there was a gap for them to go back and turn around, you know, things that I thought were well accepted. I thought, you know, gay marriage was well accepted. And apparently not to those people. And you know, and to and to say to our gay friends that they don't have the same rights that we do, you know, I, just to be able to say that you're a lesser being, and then you say, well, it's not what I say. That's what God says. Right? They say in the name of God. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's just they're rationalizing their own constructed hate that's built around them. That that. They're in this little bubble of hate and disdain for a lot of other people, you know, driven by a far-right media that's seeking to undermine our society and societies all around the world. Yeah. And, they, you know, anti-democratic and, yeah. So, I mean, that's what we're looking at. Always look at the big picture. What is What makes them act that way? What makes them act so privileged, makes them seem that they're so privileged? There's also the ego that goes into it, too. That, oh, what I want is God's will. And you can't under, and you don't make the distinction between what God might want and what you might see or want or fear. And then it's, you become this God-like person. That's why all of these Republican preachers and, and these leaders and these people, half of the members of Congress have this God complex. It's, yeah. all, it's all this total conflation of their perception of God and their own ego. Yeah, it must be nice Yeah, having that confidence in yourself. <laughs> like, I, I, I have an ego. I'm in a business where you, I think, have to be a little bit of you know, egotistical, narcissistic maybe, but I would never come close to thinking that my word is God. Well, no, you and you don't have a big ego. You take pride in your work. There's a difference. Well, thank you. Well, let's get from one religious subject to the next. You were just in time, another 
piece published by Time, this time about Tim Scott. So I'm going to quote you right in front of you. This is the first time I think I've done this on this podcast. But why did Tim Scott fail in a state that usually embraces evangelicals? Mike Huckabee, Rick Santorum, and Ted Cruz won the Iowa Republican caucuses in 2008, 2012, and 2016, respectively. All self-identify as evangelical Christians, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, also an evangelical Christian, suspended his presidential campaign last weekend. Scott was the only Republican in the race in the same lane as Huckabee, Santorum, and Cruz. So why did Scott, the quote, joyful warrior, flame out in Iowa? While former President Donald Trump is the Republican juggernaut to beat for now, why did Scott do so badly even against other Republicans without the evangelical enthusiasm that he should have had? The most recent Des Moines Register poll had Scott at 7%, losing ground and running a distant fourth behind Trump with 43%, Ron DeSantis with 16%, and Nikki Haley tied with him at 16% in a state where Iowa Republicans love evangelical presidential candidates. I believe there are three reasons Scott failed. First, he didn't engage Iowa media as effectively as Huckabee, Santorum, and Cruz did. Second, his campaign made some poor decisions. Third, and perhaps most surprisingly, his messaging about his faith to Iowans flopped. Yes. Nice words. You I, did a good job, Dr. Bob. Yeah, well, thank you. It's It was sort of interesting. I try to figure out, I try to look at different things and analyze them, and I really thought he would do well um, with the evangelical media, but you know, or media, with, I thought he would do well with the media, too. He gave us any indication, every indication that he would. Um, we all know that sometimes all of the candidates make bad decisions, and he got bad advice. He was a rookie candidate at the national level, you know. But really, if, you know, I went to numerous of his events, and uh, they were just boring. And it was just, I mean, he was a good speaker, but he would go on and on about his faith journey. And I thought I was going to, you know, walk out in a... Oskaloosa, where somebody else said, can I share my faith journey too? In the audience, and it's like, no, you can't. He, and so these are the people that you don't want to sit next to at any function, including <laughs> yes. a church function, because they go on and on and on. And I, and the best, it's boring, and at worst, they're trying to tell us that they're better Christians than you. Right. So, Is that how it felt when you saw Tim Scott? Did it seem like he was bragging about his faith, maybe? Because there does seem like there's a big difference between something that's heartfelt and something that you're just using to, as you said, seem better than somebody or try to prove your your bona fides. Well, like Ted Cruz and Mike Huckabee, you know, I think Mike Huckabee used to be a good Christian, whatever good Christian used to mean, but then Fox News sort of turned him into this nasty guy. But, um, I mean, so... They're using it a little bit, but he seemed sincere. But if he was sincere, you know, he would have, well. So I have this piece pending in time, and I ran into Brian Stickle, a friend. And, you know, I said, oh, you know, I didn't say where anything was pending, because I never do, because I don't. You never know. Yep. Yeah, right. And so I said, what are you working on? Oh, a piece on Scott. And, he, and you know. And then he goes, yeah, he isn't even a Christian. Otherwise, he wouldn't, um, you know, support Trump and do, you know, a whole lot of the other things that, you know, the far right are doing because they're not Christians. 
And so here I am, you know, I've got a piece <laughs> pending in time, and Brian cut right to the heart of the matter that here I was acting like it's a normal world and I can just do this analysis, and I still can. But at the same time, really, the only question we should be asking of every Republican candidate is, do you think the far right, Donald Trump, probably Santorum, most certainly Santorum, do you think that they're a threat to democracy or not? So here I am, right? So what I wrote for time is sort of a red herring, acting like things are sort of normal, when I should just be asking that question. That's what all the media should be asking is, is democracy in peril? And coincidentally, I met with uh, um, Doug Burgum, who is the presidential candidate, governor of North Dakota, and I asked him that, and I asked him that twice. Are they threats to democracy, and are you a threat to democracy? I didn't quite say, are you a threat to democracy, but is this Alan? And I, and I asked him twice, and he wouldn't answer me. He just kept talking about policy. And so that's the question that should be asked. Is democracy at risk? And then he'll go, but then what he does is, you know, and what they all do is, is they'll demur and talk about, answer a different question. Which is the fact that it's become routine for them to do that answers the question in itself. The fact that you won't answer that question and you try to skirt it, you're answering yes, democracy is in peril, yeah. whether it's because of me or somebody else. All he had to say was no. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, and to explain why. And say, oh, you you know, you're exaggerating. It's hyperbole. It's not. And here's why. X, Y, Z. Right. No, you know that it is, but you don't have the courage to say it because it won't get you to be, oh, Trump or whoever's Secretary of the Interior, whatever you want to be. And so, it. So, I was thinking he's not going to like it because it's not about him. But really, if. It is about him because it showed me that he doesn't have the values to stand up for democracy. Right. So it was about him. So Yeah, by answering know. the way he did, yeah. he did make it about him. This, the question was posed to him. He didn't say yes or no. He said, about I don't want to talk about the other candidates. Well, that's what I asked you. Right. And then so I pressed him on it and then we ran out of time. And so, so the thing is, I'm part of the problem. The Tim Scott piece was part of the problem. The Time Magazine piece I did on Nikki Haley, it's all part of the problem. I'm acting like it's the normal world and it's not. And I should be, and I should be asking everybody, and all the media should be asking, it's the only question that should be asked, is, is democracy in peril? If so, why? If not, why not? Well, let's look at this. I think this is a good way to look at your piece as well. We've discussed before, Trump is their God. We've heard from pastors in very evangelical right-wing churches, Southern Baptist churches, talk about how when they preach about Jesus's teachings, Jesus's own words about turning the other cheek, helping the poor, those pastors are getting pushback from their congregants about how this is too weak. Yeah. They're not strong. They're not like Trump. Right. Jesus was a wimp, basically. Yeah. I've read that stuff too. So now when Tim Scott comes to your town and speaks to you and tries to get your vote, he's not Donald Trump. So when he's talking about God, he's not talking about Trump. He's talking about some other guy. 
So I think that's also a big part of it, that he's trying to beat their God. Trump is. No, I'm saying Tim Scott is running against Donald Trump and trying to oh, beat yeah. their God, Donald Trump. Yeah, but I Trump. don't think everybody sees him as their God. I think that there's some knuckleheads that do. I don't want to... I think there's a lot of knuckleheads that do. I mean, you may not profess him to be your Alpha and Omega, but if you believe everything he says, like he's a Pope or something... There are some people like that, but... You know, and the thing is, it's not about Trump. That's other people behind the scenes, the big money people that are behind the scenes that are just taking advantage of the chaos he creates and just part of his personality. He's a disruptor. And so to me, the bigger fear is what if you get... And so there's Trump's general incompetencies and his, you know, all over the place on every single issue. And in that void of... Well, and in the yeah, in the void of the chaos, I mean, there's all this chaos, and so there's all these opportunities for people to move in, and so. But what if Trump were actually focused and wanted to get all this stuff done, rather than being all distracted and all over the place and undermining himself and you know breaking all the laws, every norm. But what if there was somebody like DeSantis? I fear DeSantis as much as I fear Trump. Maybe more because I think DeSantis will be more surgical about it and smarter about it. And and he's going to not say everything that he's doing. Or Trump right. says everything. You know, he says the quiet part out loud. Right. DeSantis isn't always going to do that. He will sometimes. He's much, much more disciplined than Donald yes. Trump. Yes, and so that's why we have... That's why I think... You have to fear him more than Trump. And plus, he could probably do better against Joe Biden than Trump. I agree. Let's take a wider scope, shall we? This is from KCCI. I made a, a facetious joke last week with the warm weather we've had in Iowa really all the way through the fall. We're starting to finally get a little bit colder temperatures in the 10-day forecast. But I mentioned that climate change is going pretty good so far for the state of Iowa. I said that facetiously, of course, and, and there is a new report out. Revved up climate change now permeates Americans' daily lives with harm that is, quote, already far-reaching and worsening across every region of the United States, end quote. That's from a massive new government report. The National Climate Assessment, which comes out every four to five years, was released last Tuesday, and it details that uh, bringing climate change's impacts down to a local level Overall, it paints a picture of a country warming about 60% faster than the world as a whole, one that regularly gets smacked with costly weather disasters and faces even bigger problems in the future. Since 1970, the lower 48 states have warmed by 2.5 degrees, and Alaska has heated up by 4.2 degrees compared to the global average of 1.7 degrees, the report said. But what people really feel is not the averages, but when weather is extreme with heat waves, drought, wildfire, and heavy downpours. Quoting, we are seeing an exploration or an acceleration of the impacts of climate change in the U.S., said study co-author Zeke Hausfather of the tech company Stripe and Berkeley Earth. And that's not healthy. 
Climate change is, quote, harming physical, mental, spiritual, and community health and well-being through the increasing frequency and intensity of extreme events, increasing cases of infectious and vector-borne diseases, and declines in food and water quality and security, the report said. In the Midwest, both extreme drought and flooding threaten crops and animal production, which can affect the global food supply. We're fucked. Well, and, and Republicans have never wanted to do anything about it. There's all this climate smart stuff that Biden's been doing is is really incredible. It's a major, major effort. It's uh, it's starting to work. They've been dragging their feet the whole way, and you know they probably will because it, because businesses rarely look at the long term return on right. their investments or if them for them. The long term might be five years, ten years. It's not a, it's not generations. Right. And so because of that and the it's just there's a whole lot of people that don't want to pay for it. They see it as a cost when it's really an investment. I mean, sooner or later, I don't know what's going to happen, to, you know to insurance in Florida and Texas and Louisiana. I mean, people on the Yeah, we've already seen that it's basically impossible to to get at home insurance in many parts of those And we're paying for it. We're paying for it here, even though we don't get as much of it. We're paying for that. And so we're paying for Republicans not wanting to do anything about this this longitudinal threat. And And people say, well, it's just the weather. No, it's not. I mean, it's math and physics. It's us that is causing it. Yeah. But... Businesses they want, businesses want to, not everyone, but a lot of the businesses want to externalize their costs. They don't want to pay for them themselves. They want the public to pay. And so we're paying. Right. Well, and it's long-term, long-term damage. And we can't see beyond the end of, you know, next week. Oh, yeah, Humans exactly. terrible at looking in the, into the future. Well, I mean, even look at the debt ceiling deal. I mean, it seems like it's an every other week situation right now, and it's going to be coming up here in another month or so. Right. So, yeah, we can't even figure out funding our own government, let alone trying to solve this well, issue because of climate some, change. Yeah, it's because a lot of people... Well, it's because the Republican Party is a disaster now. Oh, God. They can't do anything. Right. Even they're saying they can't do anything. Yeah. They need the Democrats' help to pass yeah. anything. And they are the majority. <laughs> like, they they could simply pass anything they wanted in the House of Representatives. And they can't. Yeah. They simply can't. Anything else that I missed this week? Oh, my. No, I think you did a pretty good job. It's just, there's just so much. There is. I should mention that uh, Ron DeSantis was in our area uh, for a couple days. Vivek Ramaswamy was also in our area. We've seen plenty of Republican candidates, not necessarily in Knoxville. I was talking to our Knoxville news director, Clayton, and he's yet to have a rally or any kind of event to cover. Pella gets them all the time. Oskaloosa has had several. Indianola gets some here and there. But it is kind of surprising that because back when I was doing news, Democrats and Republicans, almost all of them came through Knoxville at some point. Yeah, they did. They're not. Pellows were all, you know, where a lot of the money is, and right. so they want to go there. Um, Indianola is close to the metro. It's easy to do. Um, well, I remember Democratic and Republican presidential candidates going to Pleasantville, too. Sure. They haven't been yeah. in Pleasantville, either. Um, yeah, Oskaloosa is a little bit larger town, a couple, 3,000 more than Knoxville. Sure. But, I mean, that might explain it, but 
they aren't they aren't in a lot of the places they were in the past and the and they're all pretty boring i mean they're all pretty boring and they all try to you know who can say the most outlandish thing the vague ramaswamy is a disaster he's a pathetic human being has anybody called him the fake yeah ramaswamy yet Damn it, I was hoping we could t- coin that no, term. I've heard it. Damn it. I think Trump. No, not Trump. Somebody else did. DeSantis, probably. Or Haley. Well, and Ron DeSantis now has a campaign partner. Almost everywhere he goes, he takes Kim Reynolds along with him. And yeah. they've already got the ads cut with her giving her endorsement. And that's Ron DeSantis's latest campaign ad, is Kim Reynolds speaking throughout the entire thing about how great Ron DeSantis is. Well, and I think I heard the uh, the people at, on the Gazette podcast that they do every week drops down Friday, which is very good. Um, I think one of them, I forget who, said that it might make a difference of two or three points for DeSantis, the Reynolds endorsement. Yeah. It's not going to be enough. Well, sir, I mean, he's pretty much between 20, 25% behind Trump in every single poll. So, yeah, two or 3% is a drop in the bucket. Certainly not going to help him overcome Trump. At this point, it would be hard to imagine anybody beating Trump in Iowa. Not saying it won't happen in other states. I know New Hampshire is not necessarily a huge Trump territory, so I could see somebody else winning that state. Nikki Haley even possibly winning that state. And then you got South Carolina, another state that Nikki Haley should do well in. So, But it does seem like Trump will probably easily win the first in the nation caucus. Well, it depends. It's a lot if you're, what, is Trump 70 Six. 70, yeah, 77, I think. 77, actually. yeah. Well, two months is a long time when you're 77. It's true. And Biden's 81. I mean, it, it is, um, I mean, it is interesting, the fact that we, here we are with our two leading candidates, maybe not even making it to Election Day or January 20th when one of them will be sworn in. Well, yeah, and all of the articles about Biden's age that you see, all the pundits talking about his age, David Axelrod. Of all the people, you know, giving Biden a hard time about his age. Never liked that guy, by the way. Well. Anyway, go ahead. But, you know, first they're close to the same age, you know. And so, but the choice isn't about age. The whole age thing is another red herring. When we should be talking about, are we going to vote, are we going to vote for the old guy that'll save democracy? Or are you going to vote for the old guy that'll destroy it? Right. That's what we talk about. We don't talk about biden's age and any of the media that talks about it and any people like david axelrod yeah, it's like did you motherfuckers forget that january 6th happened that yeah. we all watched it on our tv yeah. we've seen how this ends we know how this ends yeah so i don't death but, and destruction in yeah. our capital yeah. assholes coming to a neighborhood near you good way to end the episode i think with spencer's top five funniest bird names yeah that's that <laughs> I just got all worked up, and now we need to settle back down a little bit. Again, top five funniest bird names. Number five, Dick Sissel. I saw one the other day. They're really quite beautiful. They look they're sort of like muted uh, metal arcs. Ooh. Yeah. I like metal arcs. I don't know if I've ever seen a Dick Sissel in the wild before. You have. You just didn't know what it was. Gotcha. Yeah. You thought it, probably thought it was sort of a pale metal arc. Probably. Number four, the sad flycatcher. The sad flycatcher. Have you ever seen a sad flycatcher? No, I haven't. I don't even know where they are, but yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Maybe it has a sad song. Maybe. Like a melancholy 
melody for it. Yeah, and if I actually did some research for this podcast like I should, I would be able to answer that. <laughs> oh, well. I don't think we need a whole lot of research on Funniest Bird Names, Dr. Bob. Although I know you're just interested because you like you like bird watching. Uh, you like getting out in the woods and knowing what different bird calls are. Yeah, absolutely. Number three is the fluffy-backed tit babbler. Yeah. It's got a fluffy back. Yeah. <laughs> and probably a crest. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And a babble call. Yeah. Number two is rough-faced shag. I think we've all had a rough-faced shag once or twice in our days, Dr. Bob. No comment. <laughs> Number one is the blue-footed booby. You are such a middle schooler. I am. <laughs> well... I just think ornithologists have weird ways of naming birds, too. Why well, is it sure birds of all things? Like, there must be something intrinsically weird about ornithologists that we've got all these tits and boobs and shags and dick sizzles. Yeah, I've never thought about it, but now you make me wish I'd have done some research. But Well, maybe it will motivate some of our listeners to do I'm some research. I'm trying to think of any mammals that are, have names like that. That's the thing. It seems like it's pretty it's much exclusive birds. to birds. I mean, there's certainly, you know, some weird named mammals or other animals, but it does seem like a lot of birds will swallow, for example. It's kind of dirty. Uh, I, <laughs> no comment. Know, yeah, no comment. The uh, makes me want to know the etymology is probably something that makes perfect sense. Uh, I don't know. Although their names, they don't. And you have the right. Well, a lot of the names that we have, you know, are common names that have come down for generations of scientific names that the scientists gets to decide on. Right, but these are not scientific names. No, These are I just, know. you know, common. So we have to look at where they came from. I'm sure there's certain commonalities and boobies or... There's all anyway. sorts of boobs and boobies and tits. Yeah, you're such middle school. <laughs> Quit it. I'm done with this segment. You were the one that actually wrote about uh, what was his name that ran for president in like 2008. You had me read a state news story about him. Ah, I'm going to forget it. And we're right at the end of the podcast. Well. Don't you remember he, he was like a kid from, I think, northwest Iowa that was running for president. And he put in his name as... Oh. A funny name. These. These nuts. These nuts. These yeah. nuts. See? I just, yeah, I had you write, read that because I knew you'd get a kick out of it. I guess so there, uh, there's a little middle schooler in me too. See? That's the thing. There's a little middle schooler in all of us. I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to the podcast right now that fancy themselves as educated, mature, but they're laughing about the boobs and tits, man. Let's hope so. Thank, th thank you, by the way. We, it, is, it is Thanksgiving week. Thank you to the listeners that put up with this kind of crap. And hey, and turkeys. How can turkey not be one? Yeah, turkey, right? Yeah, you're, yeah they're a turkey. I used to, one of my nicknames when I was a kid was turkey from one friend of mine. Like, dirty turkey. I wouldn't have told anybody that. I hated it. Yeah, I well, hated that's why it. you shouldn't tell anybody. Well, I'm an honest man. And I'm not a turkey. <laughs> that's true you're not thank you 
Anything else that we missed? I do want to I do want to say that I am thankful for you, Dr. Bob. I'm thankful that you came up with the idea to do this podcast because it still gives us an excuse to see each other on a regular basis. And I really do, from the bottom of my heart, really enjoy this hour or so that we get to spend every Tuesday afternoon. I do too. I wouldn't miss it. Yeah. So thank you. It's always fun. Yeah, uh, Nathan actually texted me this morning, are you going to do it this week with Thanksgiving? And no, we're going to do it. We're going to do it every chance we can. So... Yeah. If we don't, it's a missed opportunity to have some fun. Right. So, yeah, and we are thankful to all of our listeners, everybody that subscribes. We truly are thankful for you. And if you are not a subscriber, you want to, you can just go to Substack or Iowa Revolution. You can subscribe to us and we'll... We won't spam you at all. We'll just give you our email or our podcast in your email every Wednesday morning. Dr. Bob also has a couple of sub stacks that you should check out. There's Deep Midwest, which is politics and culture. Similar stuff to what you'd hear on the Iowa Revolution podcast. And then also Cedar Creek Nature Notes. Make sure you follow that on Substack. No politics at all. Just birds. And mammals. With funny names. Plants. And mammals, plants, mushrooms, fungi. Yeah. All kinds of fun stuff. Dr. Bob's cute dog with his little vest on so the hunters don't get him. Yeah. Yeah. It is that time of the year, by the way. Have you seen any hunters? Or I'm sure you've heard a few gunshots. Uh, I've seen quite a a number of them. Some of them out of season. Well, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. The rest just people doing, playing by the rules. That one guy... So a little early. Right. So yeah, Cedar Creek Nature Notes is, uh, and you can also follow that one on Instagram. I post a lot of the pictures that uh, from his walks on Instagram. Also with uh, the videos and music too. You're getting better and better at Instagram, Dr. Bob. Well, I had a good instructor, my daughter, Johanna. There you go. Back from uh, college for Thanksgiving too. Yes. So you probably want to get out of here and hang out with them. Yeah. And uh, yeah, grateful she's back. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks again to Dr. Bob. Thanks to you listeners. You can also follow us on Twitter or Facebook. We're Iowa Revolution. Hope you have a safe, happy Thanksgiving, and we will see you next week. Thanks, Dr. Bob. Thank you, Spencer.